0: Um, We're finishing up our series today called Till He Appeared. And what we've been doing, if you haven't been with us, is we've been walking through some of the stories where God appears to His people. The theological word for that is theophany, the appearance of God in Greek. And so... um, I've been looking at the stories when God, frankly some of the stranger stories in Scripture where God seems to appear in some other form, the form of the wind or the form of the burning bush or um, the storm and sometimes as in the appearance of a man. And so we've been looking at those stories and it's been kind of a topical series Uh, Normally, like 60-70% of the time, we're going kind of passage by passage through a single book. And and that's kind of our our meat and potatoes for how we uh, understand the Scriptures. But it's good sometimes to zoom back and see not just the trees, but some of the forest and some of the themes. Because Scripture has these major and minor themes that keep coming back. And if you don't kind of step back a little bit and see them then you miss out a lot on what the biblical writers are doing. And so we've been taking this theme of the visitation of God and, and stepping back and seeing how, what it means when He appears. And ultimately, His appearance comes, as we're going to talk about at our Christmas Eve service, when He appears, when Jesus appears, and when the angel comes and visits Mary and promises His coming. But the hard thing about topical series is that it's, it's a bit like flying a plane. Uh, taking off and landing are the worst parts, right? Um, because those, those are the hardest parts to navigate. How do you begin the story? And then today we're finishing up the series. How do you, how do you land this plane? And there's, there's several other theophanies we could have looked at. We could have looked at other stories where God appears. We've referenced the story of the, of the burning bush, for instance, and, and others in Moses' life. Um, But what I wanted to do instead was to come to the end after Jesus has arrived, and to see when God appears in the New Testament, and and some people would say the New Testament church was created, the Holy Spirit comes. And I want us to look at this passage as a way to kind of land this plane. And uh, just like landing a plane can sometimes be bumpy, it's scary, and there's always the chance that there'll be a disaster. Um, I also want to try something a little different today and just ask several questions about God's appearing. And these are the things I wrote them on the marker board earlier uh, this week in my office that I'm still left wondering about. And I think that many of you may have been wondering about as we've come to these stories of Scripture and seen when God appears. And so I wrote down four questions for us to go through this morning to see, looking at... The New Testament here, when, when God appears in the Holy Spirit, and then looking back in reference to some of what we've already covered as well, to see, maybe there's some things that we've been left wondering. When God appears, we wonder. We wonder about certain things. And maybe it, it challenges our faith a little bit to even read these stories and try to understand them. And so we're going to try to do that this morning as well. So I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1-13. through 13. Let's read this together. So the first question of four this morning that I want to talk about is I want to revisit something that we've come and seen almost in every passage that we've looked at. And it's this theme of why is it that when some people see God appear, they are changed and others ignore it, ignore the signs. So here's the question, when God appears so powerfully, how is it that some people respond to him and others don't? When He appears, I think we wonder about that. How, how could it be that when God appears so powerfully in the world, and maybe this challenges our faith a little bit, how is it that some people respond to Him and others don't? We've seen example after example. Last week we looked at the story of Elijah. And, um, and his discouragement. And he, he meets Ahab and Jezebel, um, who are the king and queen of, of Israel at the time. And they have this showdown with the prophets of Baal, and fire comes out of heaven. And, and it's clear that Yahweh, the God of Israel, has won the day, and all the prophets of Baal are killed. And it seems like the Golden Age is going to be ushered in. And then the very next passage, Ahab and Jezebel are trying to kill Elijah. And that's when he gets discouraged. And this is why he's discouraged, because he doesn't know why, when God appears so powerfully, how is it that other people don't see it? How is it the case that Moses, when he sees the burning bush, I mean, he sees the appearance of God, and that one event changes his life, changes the direct, the, 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 the way that his life is going forever, he j- it changes it. And then he goes to Pharaoh. And what does Pharaoh see? Ten signs. Ten signs. Ten plagues. And yet remains hardened against the Lord. After seeing ten. We've talked about this one before. After the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 28. Jesus is raised from the dead. And He appears to 500 people. People that you could look up their names and addresses who saw Jesus in the resurrection from the dead, this mighty appearing of God. And it says in Matthew 28 that many worshipped Him, but some doubted. How can that be the case? How can it be the case today when we look at this passage in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit pours out on the people of God and they're speaking in tongues, and it's like, it's like fire is over their head. It's like there's this mighty wind blowing through, and it's spreading. And the result of this Pentecost time and the sermon that follows it is 3,000 people are going to follow Jesus Christ. And how? look at the end of the passage. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Do you see that theme? When He appears powerfully, how is it that some people respond and others don't? The difference is that this is the life-changing, amazing thing versus hashtag go home, you're drunk. Basically. if You've seen that meme before, right? Go home, you're drunk. It means you're silly. You're, you're over the top. It, you, you're past your sensibilities and that's what many people when they see the results of this Pentecost are feeling and yet for others it is the life-changing moment where they turn to the Lord and they see the world with new eyes so there's a couple of different ways we can answer this question first is very briefly taking God's perspective and what scripture says about the way that he works and he moves and then to take somewhat of a human perspective answer it as well so first from God's perspective we're told in John chapter 3 verse 8 that the spirit is like the wind it blows where it wills just like the wind you don't see where it comes from you don't see where it goes you see its effects and yet it is a mystery and the same is true we're told of the spirit of God it blows where it wishes you hear the sound of it but you don't know what it will do and that is the case That God works in mysterious ways, as the phrase goes. He moves where He chooses. And yet we can't understand the mind of God. But from our perspective, we see that the answer to that question is, well, it depends on which eyes you are using to see the world. That's how God can seem so powerful to some and yet to others it isn't. And I love how honest the Scriptures are about this. It it tells us in almost all of these amazing things that there are people who didn't believe and there are those who did. And so the difference is in the eyes that you use to see the world. I think I've told you this story before, but a few months ago I was getting ready for work, Um, just had my bag on, having coffee in my hand, just walking out the door, and uh, one of my sons ran up to me and he said, Dad you have to see this. And I said, okay, well, can I wait till I get home? And he's like, no, no, you have to come see this. And he said, like, come out to the backyard. I want to show you something. And so he prevailed upon me to go out to the backyard, even though I was late. And so I walked side with him, and he walked me over to the patch of dirt that we have in our yard. And um, just one little area that is just kind of nothing grows there. And uh, it's over beside our AC unit. And it's just, it's just kind of a dirt spot. And he's like, can you believe it? And I looked down, and I saw two clumps of weeds um, that were growing in that dirt spot. And I said, are, are you talking about those weeds? <laughs> you know? And he said, can you believe it? And I'm thinking, weeds in my yard? Yes, I can believe that. (laughs) He said, these grew here without anyone planting them. Only with water and sunlight. Can you believe it? You see, how is it that the thing that's so amazing, so perplexing to him, for most of us, would be commonplace at best and annoying at worst? Who's right? It depends on which eyes you are looking at it with. As an adult, you see weeds as a problem. As a, someone who has to maintain the lawn, you see weeds as a problem. Something to be fixed. But of course, it depends on what level of analysis you're talking about, right? What is, how do things grow? I mean, that's a mystery, isn't it? And anything on that level of analysis creates Awe. And so it depends on what level of analysis you're looking at. When you come to see the Scriptures, and the Bible tells us that the most appropriate level of analysis for faith is that of a child. In fact, it's not just nice when you have the perspective of a child to have that childlike faith, that wonder. It's not just nice, it's necessary, Jesus says. As He holds a child, He says, you must become like one of these to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must why? Because for many of us, we're conditioned to think that our smarts or our scientific worldview or our philosophical thinking or any of the grown-up things that we think are true are the most important thing. And, the other, and, and we don't see how they blind us sometimes to the obvious things that the world has to show us in wonder. And so that explains what are the eyes that you're looking at the world with. You are looking at it with the eyes of faith or you're looking at it with the eyes of your own maturity. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, it says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The difference between foolishness. I mean, these are extreme terms. Foolishness. There's no reason to do this. There's no reason to be here if the cross isn't true. Verses. The power of God. It depends on if you have the eyes of faith. How is it when God appears that some He seems to be so powerful and others reject Him? That was the first question. We wonder. Here's the second question. I'm left wondering as we finish up this series. And maybe you've wondered it as well. Maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but this is something that you've wondered. When God appears to others, why doesn't He appear to me? When God appears to others, when He moves so powerfully throughout the Scriptures, wouldn't it have been easier to see Him rain down fire? Wouldn't it have been easier for your faith if you could see Him act again? We wonder, why does Jacob wrestle with God Physically. And I wrestle with God metaphorically. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from week two. They were in the fire. How come I'm in the metaphorical fire? And it speaks to this thing that we have that we have this distance we feel from the, from the biblical text, from the stories. We feel like maybe that it was different for them than it's different for me. And there's an assumption behind that that... That we have. The assumption is this that if the stories of Scripture are true, then most people in Scripture experience something different than what I experience. Now, that's actually not true. The reality is the overwhelming majority of followers of God throughout history, like you, were reliving and remembering the great acts of redemption. As we see this several thousand years of history in one spot, there's a temptation to think that God appeared at all times to everyone before us. But the great majority had faith just like yours. It was reliving and remembering the great acts of redemption. Think about the Exodus. Just think about the Exodus for a minute. This is arguably the most important redemptive act of the Old Testament. It gets referred to over and over again when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of their bondage, into the Promised Land. Now you have to remember, when the Exodus happens, Israel has been enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. When's the last time you thought about that? 400 years. That's longer than the United States of America has been a nation. They were enslaved. And then God appears. And He brings them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so we have these places, maybe eight to ten. We could do a series on eight to ten of these passages. We only did four. But there's these places where God appears. But the vast majority of people are looking back to the acts of redemption, like the act of Exodus, and looking forward to the promises that are coming, just like we look back to the redemption at the cross, and we look forward to the return of Jesus. This is where most people live, with faith in the past and the future acts of God. That's part of the answer. Although there's a, there's a fuller answer, and it's this. Why does He appear to them in different ways and not to us, we feel like? Part of it is that we have a misunderstanding of how often that happened, but secondly... Something has fundamentally changed when Jesus came. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1. In many different ways, many different ways, long ago, God spoke to us through the prophets. In these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Something has changed. All of the theophanies, all of the appearances of God, have been met in Jesus Christ. And now He speaks through the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about in just a moment. He is how we experience God now. And that's why I wanted to go to this passage in Acts at Pentecost. Because here we're told when the Spirit comes... He comes and he brings Jesus. He's, Jesus promised that this Holy Spirit would come. So a lot of times people wonder, is this Pentecost, this, this spreading of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues and, and all of this, is this like just a historical event or is it something that we should try to recreate as a church? Is it something that, that maybe we should, it's like a formula for revival or something like that? And the answer to that question is it's a false question. Because it's the same as all the redemptive acts of God. It is an, a historical event that has ongoing implications for the way that we live. Just like the Exodus. The Exodus was a mighty act of God, unrepeated. And yet, what did they do every year? They celebrated the Passover. They remembered that what had happened. They taught their children what the Exodus meant. And so, when we have this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, we know that this was God's movement into the world. This is the birth of the church, the spread, and it goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth to Phoenix, Arizona. This amazing spread of wildfire faith. But every year, we remember at Pentecost the coming of the Holy Spirit for us. And it does, in fact, speak to where we are. Why is it? It doesn't appear to us We've given a couple reasons, but also this, finally. Jesus tells us it's better that we have the Spirit than anything else. This is such an interesting thing that Jesus says in John chapter 16. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So we think, the best thing for me would be able to touch Jesus, to hold Him, to be around Him. That would really strengthen my faith, even though we've already said that some people saw the resurrected Jesus and doubted. And He says, it's actually better that you have the Holy Spirit. Now why would that be the case? Because, as we've already said, our eyes can deceive us. Our senses can deceive us. But what doesn't deceive us is this. The Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. And so we do, in a sense, have a better presence. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit as it spread out through the earth and came to us. Do you remember what Jesus says to Thomas? When Thomas, the doubting disciple, who touches Jesus' side, touches his hands... And he doesn't believe until he does that. Jesus says he's blessed. You're blessed because you believed. And then he says, but more blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Third question. We wonder when God appears. This one's a little quirky, but I thought I'd go there. When God appears, why is it so often in fire? You wondered that? Why is it in fire? We were thinking about the graphics for this series, and uh, we thought about maybe doing a little little, uh, graphics of each of the appearances of God, and then we realized that 75% of them are fire, so that wouldn't work anymore, so we abandoned the idea. He appears in the pillar of fire over Israel. He appears in the burning bush to Moses. He appears as the fourth man for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He appears here as of tongues of fire resting over the people of God. Why? Just a few thoughts. Fire is mysterious. I think that fire is one of the best ways that we can understand how God appears because He he, as John Calvin said, he lisps to us. He shows us himself in ways that we can understand. And so fire is mysterious. We're not sure how fire works. I've been doing fire pits at our, night, our house most nights these last, this last two weeks. Love to have a good fire in the evening. And one of those nights, one of my sons asked, how does, how does fire work? Um, so I'm like, okay, okay. Um, Laws of thermodynamics. Uh, I think I can pull that out of the memory here. Um, and, you know, like, where does, where does the wood go? He said, like, when you burn something, like, where does it go? And I'm like, well, you know, everything in the universe is constant and stuff. It's not really landing. Um, so I'm, he's like, how does it burn? And, you know, I said, it's just kinetic energy. Just, you know, just, just enjoy the fire, you know? I don't know how it works, it's a mis- mystery. We have the story of the Greeks, right? Prometheus steals fire from the gods. And then he's severely punished because he's taken this mysterious thing away from them. Of course, we don't believe that this morning, but it's an interesting thing. It's like this mysterious thing. Fire is mysterious. Fire draws attention. That's the nature of the fire. You want people to gather around something to start a fire. People will just, you know, go to it. It draws attention. And what it's drawing attention to here in this story, is the fact that as these tongues of fire, this amazing imagery is resting over the people's heads, we are seeing that all of the appearances of God and all the great, great acts of redemption are being brought here together in this one place. What do I mean? We're being drawn attention to the fact that this Pentecost is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. As the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, the people built up this tower to God. They wanted to build a tower to heaven. And they were unified in their approach to build their own kingdom. And God confused their languages and spread them out over the whole earth so that they would do what He originally told them to do, which was to multiply and spread over the whole earth. And so He does it for them in a judgment. He confuses their language. But here at Pentecost, now all those languages are brought in. The people are gathered into one place. The sign of confusion is now the sign of unity. Ad- additionally, what's going on here? This is the time of what it's called, it's called Pentecost. Now you have to understand that Pentecost is two traditions happening at the same time. And they're both, the, the, the writer of Acts, Luke, he, he's drawing our attention to this and showing what a special moment this is. Because what does Pentecost mean? Pentecost just means 50th day. It's the 50th day from what? It's the fiftieth day from the Passover, and they are in the Old Testament celebrating the Feast of Weeks. This is a harvest festival. So, Pentecost was fifty days from, from the Passover. They celebrated the harvest that God had brought in abundance. And then, during but then during the the what's called the intertestamental period, this period in between the Old Testament and New Testament, it also became associated with. The, the, uh, the coming down of the law of God. And the tradition is, even though we don't know the exact dates of this, the tradition was that 50 days from when they were freed from Egypt is when Moses came down with the law from, the, from Mount Sinai. And so you have the 50th day is the coming down of the law and the 50th day is the Feast of Weeks. And here, he's bringing it together and he's showing us this is a fulfillment of the people of Israel and the great acts of redemption. Because this is the great harvest. 3,000 souls are about to commit to Jesus. This is the great harvest. The Holy Spirit comes to bring the ultimate feast of weeks. And yet, now also the law. He comes down, just like Moses came down with the law. Now from heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down with the law written on our hearts. And so it's a fulfillment of Sinai and of the harvest. He's drawing our attention to that. Just like fire does. Fire catches I'm still a little worried here. Fire catches. It spreads, and just like that, these languages spread throughout the whole earth. Even to Phoenix, Arizona, we said this table of nations: the Elamites, the Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia. All of these areas of Judah are the are the areas that become the launching point for what becomes a worldwide picture of people following after God. Fire is dangerous. And you can't miss the connection with judgment here because fire is a dangerous thing. It's something that can't be easily contained. It's not safe. It's something to watch and be careful of. And God is pictured as a consuming fire in the Old Testament. He's not to be toyed with. Fire destroys. It's dangerous. Fire also, though, transforms because nothing touches fire without being changed, either brought to its essential nature or transformed, or purified. And here, the gospel spreads like fire, and it purifies, and it brings people, and reveals their hearts. So Pentecost is the spark that lights this whole worldwide faith. That's why fire, I think. Now I want to close with this last question, and really it has to do with all of them. And it's this question, what does all this have to do with Christmas? What does this have to do with Jesus coming into the world in the form of a man, incarnating himself, adding flesh to his divinity? What does that have to do with this? And I want us to come as we close today to the nativity, which I believe is, the way that Scripture presents it, almost a microcosm of the whole world. It is this beautiful place where Really, all of Scripture, that really the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Him tonight around this place. Let's ask those questions one more time in a brief way and then relate them to what we see here. If God is so powerful, why doesn't everyone respond to Him when He appears? Well, we're told that not everyone did, even at Christmas. And it's a good reminder to us that it's possible for you to be here and for you to participate in Christmas and to miss Him. Because you can act like one of the wise men or the shepherds, and you can follow the star. You can follow the scripture. You can follow what is truth. And you can come and you can bow before the newborn king. Or you can be like Herod, the ruler. Who saw the Christ as a threat to his kingdom. And as long as Jesus is a threat to your kingdom rather than the king himself, when he appears, you'll miss him. Because you won't have eyes to see. Second question if he appears to others, why doesn't he appear to me? He does appear to us by the Holy Spirit. This becomes, Acts chapter 2, the normative way that we experience God. It's through His Spirit in the ordinary means. We talked about this a little bit last week. How How does He approach us? He still speaks. He still feeds. He speaks from His Word. He feeds us at His table. And we believe in our tradition that those are tied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here speaking this morning. The Holy Spirit feeds us and nourishes Christ us with Christ as we come to the table. And so oftentimes when we come to Christmas, we want the extraordinary. We're hoping that we have something extraordinary. We are hoping that we experience something warm, that we experience a connection, that we experience family, and we want this big thing. We want God to appear. But he does appear. He nourishes us along the way by His Holy Spirit. This is the way that He appears. He's spoken to us in His Son and the Spirit applies the Son. Third question, why the fire? And the answer is because at Christmas Jesus came, we're told in Scripture, He came to deal with the fire. In Matthew chapter 3, we're told that John the Baptist, He's going to baptize with water. But Jesus will come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John's ready for that to happen. He's ready for Jesus to bring some fire. Do you remember later when John the Baptist is in prison? He reaches out to Jesus through an intermediary and he says, Hey, where's the fire? I thought you were coming to bring the Holy Spirit and fire. What did he mean by that? Why aren't you judging the nations? Why are you not taking control? Why are you not throwing down Rome? Why are you not leading us to purity, to this transforming fire? And Jesus responds, He said, You know, John Baptist says, Are are you the one, or should we look for another? I thought there was going to be fire. And Jesus says, the blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking. It's happening. It's just not happening the way that you thought it would happen. But don't worry, I'm going to take the fire. That's the Gospel. I'm going to take the fire myself. I'm going to quench the flame when it comes to God's judgment. And this is just true. After the resurrection, Jesus doesn't talk about fire anymore. He only talks about the Holy Spirit. He's come and He's baptized Himself in the fire. And so that now when we are baptized, we're baptized into the Spirit, not into the fire. Of God's judgment. This is not a stretch. This is what the scripture explicitly says. Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. You see what he's saying there? I know that the fire is coming and his fire, the fire that he experienced was connected to his baptism on the cross And so he took the fire. And so now, when the Holy Spirit appears to the church in Acts chapter 2, the fire of God's judgment has been transformed into the fire of Pentecost. The spreading of the faith. The transforming faith. It doesn't take away the reality of judgment. It takes away the necessity of judgment. And just as sin and death spread out after the fall, now the fire of purification spreads to the ends of the earth. And we're told this is why He came. This is why He appeared. This is why when we come and sing to this newborn King, as we're going to in a couple of days, we rejoice not just that He was born, not just that He was a good man, but that He has taken this for us. As the song says, Mild, He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. This is the reality of Christmas. Not just the warmth of family and connection. It's the fact that Jesus has done this for us. And if you're in Him, then your death is taken care of. And your life is lived in Him. When He appears... He appears to, as a Savior for those who have eyes of faith to see Him and trust in Him. Let's pray. God, Your coming is a mystery to us. As we read about Jacob and Moses and Elijah, Pentecost, these things that seem distant to us, and yet we're all preparation for your coming that we can experience now with the eyes of faith. And so I pray that you would strengthen our faith this morning by your Holy Spirit, that you would pour out from your word and from the table that we're about to partake in. You would pour out into our hearts a faith that we wouldn't be left wondering what is it that we believe? Rather, we would be strengthened to know this. This is Christ the King as we've sung about. And I pray that you would affirm that in us this morning to know as we taste and see that you are good and that you have shown yourself to us in jesus name amen